We are talking once again with Jarob Parrish, local writer and activist, here to give us a wrap-up of this past week's news. Good morning. Good afternoon. Happy Tax Day. Actually, yeah. Tax Day is typically Monday this year. Okay, this week. Olympia. Olympia, only a couple weeks left. Uh, actually, only one week left. Uh, oh. A week from tomorrow is the last day of the legislature. And, um, you know, they'll go into special session if they can't get a budget agreed upon by then. They're still working on that. But a number of other bills are uh, being passed by the chamber that was not the chamber of their origin. So they uh, they can then go if if they if they're identical, they can go to Governor Inslee for signature. If not, they have to go to a conference committee that irons out the differences and then both houses have to pass them again. It's a very, very busy time of year for the legislature. And we're we're looking at the stretch run now. So I want to talk about a few bills that did pass their their opposing chamber this week. Uh uh, a week ago today, uh, after we uh, did the program, uh, uh, the state Senate passed the House Bill 1240, which was the assault weapons ban. Uh, of course, this is highly controversial and it was likely to be challenged in court, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but, you know, we had several instances uh, to remind us this week that assault weapons are um really only good for one thing and that's mass murder um in a short period of time so we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit but that was that was passed by the senate this week it's a little bit different than, from the house bill so they're trying to iron out the differences also uh senate bill 5599 was passed by the house that uh allows licensed shelters or home, of homeless youth programs in the state they would not be required to report runaway youth if a compelling reason exists. Uh, for example, sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, uh, you know, uh, being kicked out of your home because you're gay, that kind of thing. Uh, and that is, that is something that uh, youth programs and youth shelters in the state have been lobbying for for some time. It keeps a lot of homeless youth on the streets because they don't want to risk having being reported and being forced to go back to their um, their homes. They ran away for a good reason in the first place. So uh, that's that was very good news. Um, oh, also, if, if youth are seeking gender affirming or reproductive care, which is to say if they want, want to transition uh, to a different gender or if they need an abortion, uh, they will be protected in the, in youth shelters under this, this uh, measure. So that's all very good news. Um, House Bill 1469 was a shield law to protect those from out of state who are seeking reproductive and gender affirming health care in Washington state uh, from, you know, uh, being prosecuted in their home states. We've seen a number of red states, most notably for Washington state, the state of Idaho, where a lot of people from northern Idaho uh, simply go over to the Spokane area. Um, uh, have passed measures making it illegal to cross state lines to seek out that kind of care. And um, this is uh, a response to that where Washington state uh, simply wouldn't report that uh, to the or originating state and would not extradite them if they were um, 
you know, being prosecuted in their home states for violating that law or that type of law. Uh, so that's good also. HB 1110 was a bipartisan effort to increase uh, housing for middle-income people in the state. Uh, lawmakers voted to pass legislation that would allow duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes on lots that have been zoned for single-family housing in uh, uh Basically, the larger cities in Washington, it's specific to cities like Seattle and Tacoma and, and uh, some of the suburbs and then Spokane. Uh, so that uh, that was meant to alleviate a real problem in the housing market, which is that, um, you know, we're, we're seeing all these projects in the pipeline for um, low income housing, uh, which is desperately needed. But um there, you know, middle income housing is also facing a, a serious shortage where, um, you know, new market rate housing that's coming online is really, um, you know, for people who have a lot of money. Um, and we're seeing this in places, you know, some of the high rises in Seattle that are going for, you know, $4,000 a month. Uh, you know, at 30% of your income, you have to be making $150,000 in your household in order to afford that. And, uh, a lot of people don't make that kind of money. So, uh, this was, this was aimed at the middle class and, uh, surprisingly, it also got some Republican support. So that was good to see. Um, and it would, it would override, override the, uh, inaction of certain city councils, cough, Seattle, cough. So that was good news also. Uh, there are, there are still a number of bills that have not been passed by both, uh, both chambers, uh, the, including the ones I listed just there. Um, you know, there weren't really any significant bills that went to Governor Inslee this week to be signed, unless you know of any. Um, you know, I looked at the list from Inslee's office and it, it, you know, it, again, it was sort of, Picking at, uh, issues around the edges of the, the really, the really big problem is facing the state. But it's all, it's all coming down to the last week. So we'll, we'll have a lot more next week. The signing of House Bill 1784 concerning hunger relief was signed this week. That was the only one I saw. Bill will allocate $28 million to food banks, senior meals, and fruit and vegetable incentives to aid replacement of the federal pandemic food benefits that have expired. So, yeah, well, that's good news, and probably badly needed by a lot of those agencies too. They they are always scrambling to try and get funding. Yeah, I saw again somebody pointing out this week that food banks are not part of the official safety net program. They are in response to the lack of an official safety net program. Exactly. It's like the. The official safety net uh, doesn't really uh, include uh, poor people's need to eat because, you know, they can that's a that's a luxury people can do without. Yeah. It's wasteful spending. And then uh, House I saw in the Senate House Bill uh, 1238 uh, free school meals for more kids passed this week. I so saw that. That's, yeah. So that's that's good news. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, again, you have to ask, why is that not being funded as a matter of course? All uh, right. And anything else on the legislature? No. Okay. 
then I believe that takes us into national news. Yeah, and there was a lot of national news this week. Um, we got the news yesterday that uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State under Donald Trump, who was widely expected to run for president and has been sort of setting himself up for that, uh, he ran for, I think it was governor of Kansas two years ago and lost. So there's actually a Democrat uh, in the governor's seat in Kansas. Um, but he uh, announced yesterday that he will not run for the Republican nomination for president. Uh, really, there are only two announced candidates it's for the 2024 nomination, and that's kind of surprising this late in the game. Um, we're only nine months away from the first primaries, and usually uh, campaigns start a lot earlier than this. They start in January or February after the midterms. Uh, the only announced candidates so far are Donald Trump, of course, who is probably the major reason uh, other Republicans are uh, skittish about getting in the race because they don't want to cross him. And uh, Nikki Haley, the former uh, South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador under Trump, who doesn't appear to have a lot of traction in her campaign, um, even though she is something that the Republican Party is desperately claiming it has a lot of, which is to say uh, she's both female and uh, non-white in a party that is dominated by white males. So, um uh, yeah, I think the shadow of Trump is keeping a lot of people out of that race so far. Uh, uh, people waiting to see what will happen to Trump's support now that he's indicted and facing, you know, multiple other investigations and lawsuits, uh, some of which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden said in his trip to Ireland this week that he will announce uh, his bid for reelection in a matter of days. Uh, so he's definitely running. And, um, yeah, you know, at this point, um, you have to remember that during his 2020 campaign, he said he would be a one term president when when, you know, people questioned um, his age and his fitness for the job. Um, he's done, a, I think, a surprisingly good job. Uh, you know, he was dealt a very poor hand from his predecessor and all of the dumpster fires that needed extinguishing. Um, he's done a pretty good job of addressing a lot of those. Um, but, you know, he will he will be in his 80s in by Election Day 2024. And uh, that is pretty much unprecedented. But, you know, 90 is the new 60. So uh, we'll see. Um, but he is definitely running. It's hard to believe that that isn't going to quash numerous other potentially decent, you know, candidates. Um, yeah, I think I think the primary season on both sides is going to be kind of boring. We're going to get a rematch of Trump versus Biden, which is a rematch nobody really wants to see. Um, but, you know, that that is what is shaping up because in both parties, people are de- deferring to the front runners. And uh, that is something we haven't really seen in recent years in recent elections. So, um, yeah, um, only two announced candidates so far. Biden will be the third. Yeah. And it may be slim pickings in terms of who else jumps in. It, it's just so hard to believe that, a, you know, if you did a, um, a survey group of people that they would be screaming, yes, we want one of the two <laughs> codgers that ran before. You know? Yeah, especially for younger voters. It's like it's like who are the most uh, well, 
who were on a comparative um, level of a participation level to uh, elderly voters the last time around, weren't they? Uh, yeah, they, they, the voting rate amongst young voters was uh, dramatically up in 2020. And uh, they were a lot of the energy that got uh, uh, Bernie Sanders into the front runner position for a time in the Democratic primaries, and then who elevated Joe Biden in the general election. So, yeah, they were pretty pivotal. And, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely mobilized. And I, I really don't think if you put a bunch of them in a focus group that you would come out with the, the, yeah, we, we really want to see two people who could be our great grandparents running. Mm-hmm. How yeah. about, um, the, uh, Pentagon documents leak? Yeah, that caught a lot of attention this week. Um, particularly with the arrest, uh, later in the week of, uh, Massachusetts Air National Guard Intelligent Unit, a young man, 21 years old, named Jack, and I'm probably going to put you the pronunciation. It's it's a uh, it's a Portuguese name, uh, Tiahira, I think. But uh, he um, he's interesting because he doesn't really fit the profile of past uh, major leakers. What he did, uh, he reportedly was obsessed with guns, and he started a uh, a chat group in uh, the platform Discord, um, which is used for a lot of different, uh, uh, you know, real-time chat groups. Um, he started a chat group that was uh, related, uh, you know, the the mutual interest was, was mostly for younger people, people in their teens and early 20s, and uh, who were, you know, uh, obsessed with guns and uh, traded a lot of racist memes and anti-Semitic memes. So, um, you know, you can, you can kind of, uh, uh, guess where the flavor for that came from. Uh, it's pretty much a far right group. Um, but he didn't appear motivated by politics. He, uh, basically was showing off his access to these intelligence documents and trying to lecture, uh, the other people in a group who were less interested in world affairs and wanted to do gaming. Um, He's trying to get them interested in global affairs. And when he, uh, couldn't do that just by, you know, uh, you know, writing out what he, what the news of the week was, he started posting, uh, screenshots of these documents that he had access to. Well, uh, this didn't get discovered for months. It was only discovered when a teenager in the same group, uh, posted some of those screenshots to a different, uh, social media platform. And then at that point, the the feds uh, clocked it and got interested. You would think that they would be paying attention to Discord because Discord at this point is a fairly major platform as well. But uh, apparently it hasn't uh, gotten on their radar yet. Um, so uh, he was arrested on Thursday, I believe, um, and is facing two counts under the Espionage Act, which could land him in jail for a very long time. Um, many of the revelations that he shared with his Discord group um, had to do with uh, intelligence gathered against both adversaries and allies around the world. Um, you know, uh, troop positions in the uh, for the Ukraine in the war against Russia, and uh, somewhat brutal assessments uh, by the intelligence uh, community of what the uh, sort of um, uh, what, what, what's a, what challenges the Ukrainian army was facing and their weaknesses, which is something that the U.S. didn't really want to publicize. Um, interestingly, um, 
when you compare it with, say, uh, uh, Chelsea Manning's uh, document dumped to WikiLeaks 10 years ago, that provoked outrage around the world from allies that the United States would be spying on them. You didn't get that kind of outrage this time, at least with most countries. South Korea was an exception to that uh, because uh, one of the documents uh, spelled out uh, South Korea's efforts to secretly ship arms to Ukraine. And South Korea is like, what? The U.S. is our ally. Why are they spying on us? Um, well, we found that out 10 years ago, so it's kind of old news now. Um, but uh, the, the the response around the world has been kind of muted to this. People just sort of take for granted now that the U.S. Uh, you know, is meddling everywhere um, <laughs> and spying everywhere. Um, so, uh, but uh, again, uh, Tahira didn't doesn't seem to have been motivated by politics so much as trying to get his uh, young cohorts in his Discord group to take an interest in global affairs, which is uh, surprisingly shallow, uh, shallow reason to commit a crime that can land you in jail for min- min- most of your life, basically. Um, but uh, that seems to have been what happened. Um, and it uh, underscores how many really fairly young and immature people have access to this top secret information. Um you know, there's a uh, basically an equivalent of Google uh, for top secret secret documents, and literally tens of thousands of people have access to this. Uh, yeah, even you know, Air National Guard uh, intelligence units uh, for different states. So you you wonder if that's going on in Washington State as well. Moving on, what a difference a week can make with uh, Tennessee. Yeah, we talked last week about the expulsion of two young African-American legislators because they um, uh, they joined uh, from the House floor a protest against gun violence in the wake of a shooting two weeks ago at a Christian school in Nashville. Um, well, uh, they were expelled last week and they were reinstated this week. Uh, Shelby County, which is Memphis, which is where one of the legislators um, served, and then the other was from Nashville. Uh, Davison County, uh, they both reappointed uh, the expelled legislators to temporary slots for the vacancy that their expulsion created. And they are both eligible to run for re-election in a special election uh, that will be uh, coming up. And then, uh, of course, once their regular term is served, they can run for re-election then, too. So it looks like they are back to stay. And they got rousing ovations, at least from the Democrats in the Tennessee legislature, uh, when they came back into the chambers. Uh, so that was, that was very good news. The only thing that the Republicans really accomplished by, um, sort of this, this petty, uh, uh, revenge motivated, um, you know, action was to spot, to shine a national spotlight on Tennessee. And, you know, how um, how much like a fascist regime, the supermajority in the, in the Republican supermajority in the Tennessee legislature is acting like um, where, you know, we will expel you or we'll take away your seat if you don't agree with the program. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the chilling effect that that has on other legislators and the. Basically, extremely racist nature of the expulsion 
where the white woman who was also uh, up for expulsion um, and that vote fell one short of uh, uh, so she kept her seat. Um, and she was saying, and other people were echoing this as well, that the reason she survived that vote and the two expelled members who are now reinstated did not um, was because she's white and they were black. Um, uh, full stop. So, uh, yeah, it uh, it did not make Republicans look very good uh, nationally as well as locally. OK, uh, Louisville shooting this week. Yeah, uh, the mass murder of the week. This one was at a bank in Louisville on Monday morning. Um, you know, I don't like Mondays and all that. And the shooter in this case was uh, didn't really doesn't really fit the profile for a lot of these mass shootings. Uh, he was a 25 year old with a graduate degree in finance who worked at the bank. Um, so, you know, he's a relatively smart dude. Uh, no criminal record at all. Uh, no. Um, not known to be, you know, fixated on gun culture, for example. Um, but um, he apparently was suicidal in the days before the shooting, told that to at least one person, and his family panicked and called 911 when they realized that he'd left the home with a gun, um, not knowing that he was going to his workplace to, you know, shoot the place up. Um, he killed five people, wounded eight others, and... Um, before he in turn was uh, was killed by police um, and one of the people he shot was uh, and this you know I don't usually have a lot of sympathy for cops but this was a, a young man on uh, literally his first shift after he had graduated from the police academy and he, he got shot in the head and later died um, which is just you know sad it's just sad anyway so yeah that was the the mass shooting of the week um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to next Monday when we'll probably have another one. And remember, that whole drama in Tennessee was set off by a mass shooting there. So these these are becoming distressingly more common. And that is why uh, Washington State is on the verge of signing into law an assault weapons ban. Um, this was an AR-15 that was used here, too. Uh, that is the weapon of choice for mass shooters. Uh, moving on, Indianapolis. Yeah, um, uh, in, in, this is our cops behaving badly uh, segment of the week. Uh, two police officers were indicted on manslaughter charges uh, in the uh, April 2022 death of a guy named Herman Whitfield III. It was a, um, a mental health call. His mom called uh, saying he was having a mental health crisis. And this is why you don't bring armed cops to a mental health crisis and why you're seeing a lot of reforms you know, trying to, trying to, you know, take those kind of calls out of the hands of police. Uh, they came again. They, uh, when he, he got anxious, um, so they tased him a bunch of times, apparently, and then they handcuffed him face down. He said he couldn't breathe, um, where we heard that before, and then eventually he stopped breathing. Um, so the reason it, the, the, there weren't charges sooner in this case, was that the body cam footage was withheld by police until this past month. Uh, so, you know, they were trying to cover it up, basically. And uh, apparently the body cam footage is, is really bad. It's really egregious because they're completely ignoring. Uh, and one of the one of the cops is actually heard as saying, you know, I really think we ought to loosen those handcuffs. And uh, 
his partner says, oh, we can do that later. There's no hurry. Um, meanwhile, the guy is dying on the floor in front of them. Um, it was re- it was really egregious. So they're charged with uh, involuntary manslaughter and uh, a bunch of other lesser charges. And we'll see where that goes. We'll keep an eye, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going to let you cherry pick. Um, yeah, so let's go to the Supreme Court. Um, we got more revelations in the uh, Justice Clarice Thomas is a, uh, a corrupt son of a blank. Um, uh, we talked last week about his Republican benefactor, a guy named Herman Rowe. Uh, and that he had taken a bunch of luxury trips that were paid for by Roe uh, to his properties and yachts and super yachts and so forth. Um, it now turns out that uh, Thomas sold several properties to um, uh, to Roe. Those properties have probably got uh, Thomas, you know, uh, somewhere short of a million dollars in cash. Um, and they included his boyhood home in Savannah, Georgia, and a couple of additional properties owned by his wife and his mother. And according to Roe, he bought the properties because he wanted to create a museum, you know, tracing uh, Thomas's humble roots and his rise to become one of the most powerful people in the country. Um, But I'm sure that appealed to Thomas's ego, but he also got a lot of cash out of it. And he didn't think it was necessary to report this in his financial disclosure forms. As income, which of course it is. So, uh, yeah, it looks really bad. And, uh, you know, at this point you would think Thomas would get impeached, but who knows? Uh, probably not, uh, because Supreme Court justices aren't really, um, uh, you know, they're, they're not subject to the same kind of ethics requirements as other federal judges. And even the relatively lax uh, financial reporting requirements that are that are uh, asked of them. Uh, Thomas has been violating. You know, it's uh, some of the exceptions to the financial reporting uh, are arguably could be cited for the various trips that he took um, uh, that were paid for by Roe. But uh, you know, buying uh, buying or selling property to him and getting money for it that clearly is reportable, and he clearly did not report it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's uh, his benefactor is Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow. Okay, yes, you're right. And Harlan Crow's an interesting figure himself. He's a Dallas billionaire, and he's not just any billionaire, but he's a billionaire with an extensive collection of uh, you know statues of uh, uh, brutal dictators in history and a whole bunch of Nazi uh, paraphernalia that he. Uh, uh, regales his dinner guests with, um, and a, you know, he, an he, autographed he, copy of Mein Kampf. Yes, and yeah, it's got to be worth something. But um, you know, he says it's because he wants to preserve the history so that future generations know how brutal these dictators were. Uh, you wonder if he doesn't admire them also. Uh, <clears throat> but um, uh, yeah, he's an interesting dude, and uh, suddenly. Uh, uh, in the very much in the spotlight. Also, I want to talk about um, the Supreme Court ruled this week um, that a six billion dollar settlement to uh, absolve some people with their student loan debts is constitutional. Uh, there's still a four hundred billion dollar lawsuit uh, for the Biden administration's effort to, uh, you know, give people clemency for student loans. 
that lawsuit is pending and a ruling expected by the June uh, decision session. And uh, I don't think we have time to trace the, the Byzantine developments around Mifepristone this week. Uh, suffice to say that the Supreme Court um, has ruled that the FDA can continue to um, uh, uh, continue it for at least the next week, and they're going to have a, a uh, ruling on a Department of Justice appeal of the Fifth Circuit's ruling, um, which was a very mixed bag. Um, that will be coming some probably by Wednesday of next week. Well, with that, we're out of time, but uh, we'll have to play catch-up next week. Yes, we will. There'll be a lot to catch up on, especially with Olympia. <laughs>